And now, Lord, I ask for something of which I'm not worthy, and that is that you would touch me with holy anointing this morning that I might address these people with the Word of God. Your Word is food to our inner man. Every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God is food for our hearts. I pray that you'd move upon me and help me, God, help me to remember those things that we studied so that I can deliver them to these people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Everybody said amen. 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 Well, let's look today at a passage in uh, the New Testament. It's Philippians chapter 4. Very familiar scripture to every one of you. Chapter 4, verse 11 through 13 is actually where we're going to read. Not that I speak in respect of want. Not that I speak out of a person that is asking for anything. For I have learned. I didn't just stumble up on it. I've learned it through the years. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Next verse, please. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. I know how to eat uh, lobster tail and I also know how to eat Vienna sausages. I know how to drive a Volkswagen and I know how to drive a Cadillac, he said. I've been on both ends of that spectrum that I have learned to abound and I've learned to be in want. Everywhere and in all things. Can you say all things? Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. I'm instructed on what it feels like to be mm, satisfied, full. Wow. I know what it's like to be full. I also know what it's like to be hungry. Both to abound and also to suffer need. I've learned that. That's something that I, I came by through experience. How many of you know about the Message Bible? Have you ever read any in the Message Bible? It's Eugene Peterson's rendition. Let me read it to you in, in the Message Bible. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I've found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. You can be sure that God will take care of everything you need, his generosity, exceeding even yours in the glory that pours from Jesus. Wow. I've learned and now I can inform you that you can trust God and you can count on Him. That He never fails. He never abandons. He never breaks His promise. We learn from this scripture that even in our difficult situations, if we can see through it, we can see the Lord on the other side of it. It's a, a prayer of mine that God will help us see through a difficulty, see through a hardship, for there's an opportunity in every hardship for us to grow and be wiser, for us to become more experienced in godliness, to know more about how to handle 
the blows and the buffeting that life can sometimes give you. I've found out over the years that it comes in bunches, haven't you? <laughs> Amen. Into every life some rain must fall, but not maybe every day. Have you ever felt like the problem will ever go away? Have you ever felt like you're just locked into a situation and it just won't get uh, better? Well, I want to tell you there's a God who can make things better. Makes it better in the midst of your difficulty and in the midst of what you're going through, in the midst of all that's going on. So today we're going to take a, that text and also one over in 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to talk about situations that surround us and engulf us, but God is always there to bring us through those kind of difficulties and situations. We can learn to see through our enemies to see God's presence. And when troubles like fear and depression and anxiety seem right on top of us, we can look through the difficulty to see that God is right on top of them. Without struggle, would assume that the strength came from us instead of from God. But God wants to show himself strong on our behalf by working in and through our weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you. The topic of discussion was the buffeting that I have to endure because of a messenger of Satan. He said, there has been a messenger of Satan assigned to me. Wow. Because of this thorn in the flesh, he said, there was given unto me a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now, he had ascended a ladder and gone to a very lofty place. In fact, he said that I went to the third heaven. I was caught up to the third heaven. And he said, I saw things there that it's not lawful, he said, for me to talk about. In other words, he doesn't have the words in English language to describe what he saw when he was in heaven. Amen. But because he'd seen that glorious sight, and experienced that great revelation, he said, lest I become exalted above measure, lest I think myself to be something because I've had such a glorious experience, there was given to me a thorn. Now, different uh, commentaries try to identify what that thorn is. Some have said it is his eye condition because we know that he had a, an eye disease and that his eyes constantly ran. We also know that he had all kinds of things going on in his life. In fact, he was stoned and left for dead at Lystra. And Usher's book of chronology tells us that there was 14 years before his writing of this that that took place. And if you'll look back in your scripture, you'll find out that 14 years before that first Corinthian letter was written, he was stoned at Lystra and left for dead. And that's when he said he ascended up to heaven. Perhaps he was dead. Perhaps he was, because death means a separation of soul and spirit from the body. So maybe in soul and spirit, he went to heaven and saw things which he said, I cannot utter. I don't have the vocabulary. I don't have the, the language to describe what I saw there. But he said, but lest I become exalted, lest I become prideful, lest I become hard and arrogant over what I saw, there was given to me something to keep me humble. Something to keep me depending upon God. 
something to keep me desirous to kneel at his feet and ask for his help. Oh, I hope I don't ever become so knowledgeable or intellectual in my own right or intuitive or inventive that I would become hard or cold or callous and could not see the will of God. Amen. So Paul was given this thorn in the flesh, and he said, and I prayed about it. I sought the Lord three times about this. I asked the Lord to remove that thorn from me. I wanted him to take it away. But said, every time that I prayed, he gave the same answer. My grace is sufficient for thee. He didn't remove the, the thorn. You mean sometimes God's answer to what we're requesting is no? Do you mean sometimes we ask for things that we know not what we're asking for, that if we knew the whole story, we wouldn't want that at all? Sometimes not knowing the things that we should pray for, the Bible said we ask amiss. Ask amiss. And he said, if we ask amiss, God is not obligated to give us what we desire. So there are times when he says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's not for you to go around this. It's not for me to get it out of the way. It's for you to learn the lesson that you'll learn through going through this, to grow in, in uh, knowledge and wisdom and experience that you can't get it any other way, that you got to go through it and absorb it in order to learn from it and be better for it. You see, God never intends for us to be status quo. He never intends for us to reach a plateau and act as if we've arrived at some thing of spiritual superiority or sensationalism that we feel like ourselves to be something. The Bible said, for when a man thinketh him to be, be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. Now, it's terrible enough to deceive somebody, but to deceive ourselves by telling uh, uh, others and wearing a banner that we're some great one because We've had this revelation or had this tongue or had this interpretation or had this miracle or whatever. Spiritual benefits and blessings are not designed to make us puffed up. Amen. Gifts of the Spirit are not intended to make us think much of ourselves. It's to give glory to God and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to lift up Jesus to whosoever will believe upon him. And we have to learn those kind of things. The 10th verse said, Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. Now, buddy, that's going a long way, and I don't know if I'm really there yet. I wish I could tell you that I was there, that I was happy when bad things happened to me. I'm just probably going to be honest and upfront with you and tell you I don't do a whole lot of laughing when something bad is going on. But I'm working on it. Working on it. But I don't reckon, Susan, I can say I'm there right now. That I can glory in my infirmities and I take pleasure in my weaknesses. Boy, that's some strong wording, isn't it? But this is for strong people and strong Christians today because it takes a lot of maturity to take pleasure in infirmity. 
and not just in infirmity, which means weaknesses when it's transferred accurately, but not just infirmities, but also in reproaches. Now that re word reproach there means shamed. Have you ever felt ashamed? Have you ever acted in a way that later you look back on it and you were ashamed of it? Have you ever done or said or acted in some way that once you kind of cooled off, you said, wish I hadn't done that, wish I hadn't said that? Well, you know the remorse and you know the terrible feeling that comes with reproach and with shame, but listen to what he says about in reproaches. He said, I take pleasure in my reproaches. Here's another one, in my necessities. Brother, when I got to have something to go on and haven't got it, it's hard for me to take pleasure in that need. That I, I, I've got something going on, I need that, and I, I desire that, and it's not, not in the category of wishing, it's wanting and needing. And he said, I take pleasure in my necessities. Well, it's right the opposite of what we do, isn't it? We like to laugh all the way to the bank, don't we? If we're going to be happy and we're going to be rejoicing and we're going to glory in our infirmities and we're going to take pleasure in, brother, it's right the opposite of what we, we do, isn't it? Get a good deal on something, what do you say? Oh, poor me. No, you used to, whoa, Lord, boy, did you see that? I got that for this much money. Buddy, I got a deal, didn't I? Debbie and Cindy are all the time texting back and forth about deals they got. That's because they shop a lot. Buddy, I'm really fixing my dinner up today, aren't I? But to get to a point where you take pleasure in the necessities, listen, not just in necessities, but in persecutions. When somebody is doing you wrong big time, when somebody is persecuting you because of your faith, because someone is imposing harm and hurt on you and your family because of a stance you've taken on the Word of God or a belief or a conviction that you've got. That's called persecution. And he said, I take pleasure in the persecutions. And like I told you, I wish I was there. But that's Paul talking, and I'm not Paul. Not just in reproaches, infirmities, necessities, and persecutions, but in distress. Distress. Have you ever been in distress? That means don't know what I'm going to do. No way out. At my wit's end. Played my last card. Don't know what to do from here. And he said, I do these things for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, when I go through reproaches, when I go through necessities, when I go through infirmities, I am really made strong because I see something, I see something in my condition, my 
persecution, my infirmity, I see something that makes me better. I learn some lessons that help me in life. I eat some spiritual food and discover some wonderful things of faith that I would never discover and never have in my heart and mind unless I went through that. Sometimes you have to open your spiritual eyes because if you see with these physical eyes, you'll see through a glass darkly. You won't understand. You'll, you won't have any cognitive way about you concerning that. So the big deal is you got to get your eyes open. You got to get your, what is it we're saying? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. There's no way you can see him with your eyes closed. And sometimes your eyes close because the situation is so bad. Sometimes you just don't want to look at it. And sometimes you just don't want anybody else getting up in your business. Don't you love these people that say, Oh, honey, it's going to be all right. I know how it feels. And I know you've been, you won't say, Shut up. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to encourage you. Well, I don't need that right now. I don't need to hear it. Don't want to talk about it. Don't you sit there in your little old sanctimonious self and act like you've never felt like that. Sometimes you just don't want anybody telling you all that stuff. You know it. When they go, oh, what you need to do now is you just need to do this and do that and do that. It'll be all right. Get your good night's rest tonight. Tomorrow will be different. No, and then when you wake up the next day and it ain't different. You want to find that person say, hey, don't give me any more advice. But thank God that he said, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, necessities, persecution, distress for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm really made strong. Something good is going on. It looks like something bad is going on. But actually, something good is going on. Because I'm really bulking up. I'm really getting stronger. When you think I'm a weak thing, what's really going on is I'm getting stronger. I got on one of these health binges not long ago, and I was going to lift weights, you know, and going to do all this, and I went in a weight room and uh, looked over on the wall, Michelle, and it said, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. <laughs> I started to get that thing down from there. I'm here to do this myself. It's me that needs to do this. I, I'm, I'm going to do this. And that scripture just kept on burning in my heart. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not you who strengthens me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who strengthens me. My success does not depend upon what you think of me. My success depends upon the Lord Jesus 
who he strengthens me and he, he gives me grace and he gives me energy and he gives me power to go forward. Amen. Boy, that's good. I like that. But Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. He had learned how to be content and it's the essence of always abounding, standing firm and refusing to be moved by trouble. Refusing to be moved by trouble. There's a great verse over in one of my favorite chapters that I quote from a lot, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, therefore, therefore, be ye steadfast. Unless you didn't get that, the next word says, unmovable. Unmovable. And again, we put up the Apostle Paul on the poster he said, Agabus prophesied over me, and, and he, said, he said, the man that owns this garment, when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be beaten. He's going to be locked in stocks and bonds. He's going to be persecuted and may even lose his life. And Paul looked at him and said, Agabus, I'm sure the Spirit of God is telling you to tell me that. But he said, I need to tell you, I am willing not only to be beaten, I'm willing not only to be persecuted, locked up, and put in, in irons, and said, in fact, I'm ready to die for what I preach and what I believe. Isn't that great? And he said, they tell me that when I get to Jerusalem, bonds and afflictions abide me there. But listen to this. But none of those things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the grace of God. Hallelujah. Open our eyes because the ultimate goal in all of this is God to give us confidence. You know what confidence does? It helps you feel strong in the midst of the storm. You know what confidence does? It reaches down and gets a hold of you and says, we can do this. You know what confidence does? It picks you up off the floor and says, no, you're not quitting. We're going on here. God is, God is able. God's going to help us. Confidence, that means that you know and you know her Hallelujah. In whom you have believed. And that you're persuaded that he is able to keep what you commit to him. That whatever it is, if it's bothering you, it's bothering Jesus. What? The Bible said he is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. When you're hurting, he's hurting. When you're afflicted, he's afflicted because he is touched by the feeling, the feeling, the emotion, the feelings. You ever get your feelings hurt? There should have been one loud, yes. Ever got your feelings hurt? Yes. There you go. You live now. There's not a person walking in shoe leather, no one in this building that hasn't at some times got your feelings hurt. 
When you get your feelings hurt, you do some pretty crazy things sometimes. Say some pretty crazy things. Damaged emotions, that's what I call them. Damaged emotions. But I want to tell you, there's healing for damaged emotions. There's healing for loneliness. There's healing for despondency. There's healing for disappointment. There's, there's healing for hurt feelings. Yes, there really is. And that's through the Lord Jesus. And He helps us to get through those times. Psalm 27 and 3. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Though an army encamps about me, I will not fear. Well, let's find a guy who went through that, that kind of a situation. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6. And there's a king, and he's in trouble. There's a prophet, and he's in trouble. There's a servant, and he's in trouble. Those are the main players. 2 Kings 6, 9 through 14. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware lest thou pass, pass not in such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him, and warned him, and saved him there, not once or twice, but many times. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria, whose name was Aram, the king of Assyria was sore troubled about this thing. He was really upset that every time he thought Elisha was co cooped up and he had a plan to take him out, every time he thought he had him, somehow he got away. And he came to the conclusion there's a spy in the camp. Somebody is telling them which way I'm going. Somebody's protecting him. Somebody's taking care of him. Because every time that I think I've got him, he gets away. I wonder how many times the devil sits off in a corner somewhere and says, that makes me so mad. Every time I get a device I think is going to catch him, he gets away. Every time I've got a contraption that I've concocted to take him out, he gets away. Glory to God. I'm glad God's people get away. That when the tempter and the snare, when the oppressor comes against God's people, God has made a way and they get away. Therefore the heart of the king was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? Who is sitting here in my court that's really loyal to the king of Israel? We're Syrians here. We're going to kill them. And you're going over there. You're, you're their ambassador here. Which one is it? I need to find the spies saying. And one of his servants said, None, my lord. O king. But Elisha, 
the prophet that is in Israel. Glory to God, I'm about to shout. The prophet that is in Israel, tell up the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. In other words, you talk in your sleep. And the prophet of God heard you while you thought you were asleep, but you were talking in your sleep, and the prophet Elisha heard what you said. So the spy is you. The traitor is you. The betrayer is you. Hallelujah. Prophet that is in hotel of the king of Israel, the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. That didn't stop him, though. Listen to what happens. And he said, go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, Elisha is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. Wow. About daylight, about getting up time, the servant got up and went outside and looked. And when he saw what he saw, he was in such peril. When he woke up and walked out the door and looked, and the mountains and the hills were full of chariots and horses with bridles glistening in the sun, and they're all poised and ready for a command to charge and come get one prophet? Brother Elisha must have been a real thorn in their side for them to have the whole Assyrian army. They are made up their mind this time he won't get away. We've got him this time. He's asleep and hadn't got up yet, but his servant came out here and he saw us all. He knows by now that we've got him. And Gehazi said, what a lot of you say, Oh, my Lord! Oh, my Lord! He went back in and he said, Elisha, said, brother, we are in great peril. We're in trouble, 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 trouble. We're not going to get away this time. We're not going to make it this time. We're going under this time. We're going to lose our life. The odds are too great. It's impossible. We're not going to make it. And a confident prophet walked out of the tent, looked around and saw all of the horses and the chariot, the smoke rising from their campfires, the squeak of the wheels on the chariots and the neighing of the horses, the swords glimmering in the bright sun just dawning and coming up. And he said, I believe I'll pray for us. I believe I'll pray. Now, I want you to know, know something right there. 
God is taking care of this whole situation. And Elisha is so confident. Now, what would you have prayed? Same thing I would have prayed. God, come get us. Lord, send some help. Call the Navy. Call the Army. Call the Air Force. Call the Marines. Get special forces. Somebody's got to get in here. We're in a mess here. Help us, Lord. Come quickly, Lord. But listen to this prayer that Elisha prays. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of this servant because he can't see. Open his eyes. Can you not see the hundreds lining the horizon ready to swoop down here up on you and kill you? And he said, Lord, open this servant's eyes so that he can see. That's what I'm trying to get through to you today. If you can ever get your spiritual eyes open, not your physical eyes, but if the eyes of your heart can ever see through the situation and see what really is going on and see what God is really doing, not what the devil has done, but what God is doing. God glories in taking something the devil meant to tear down and destroy and use it for good to build. And the Bible said the scales fell from off of his eyes and he testified and said the hills and the mountains were full of chariots of fire. The Lord hath sent his angels. You believe the Lord would send an angel to help you? Well, some of you nodded your head. Do you believe the Lord would send an He said, I will send an angel lest you dash your foot against a stone. He'll lift you up. When Peter was in that prison, an angel came, woke him up. You reckon he was confident? Still asleep, laying on that concrete floor in that prison, and an angel came and said, put your shoes on. He'd already taken his shoes off and was quite comfortable. How can you be that confident in the middle of a situation? Confidence. Confidence. That means knowing in whom you have believed. If you would look around, you would see Joshua, who stood beside Caleb after returning from a spy situation in the promised land. And Ten spies said we're like grasshoppers in their sight. They've got walled cities. They're fierce and they're warlike. Joshua stepped up and he said, hey, I'm confident. I'm confident. Yes, the walls are there. Yes, they are fierce. Yes, they're warlike. Yes, their walls, their cities are walled. Yes, but, but our God is able, well able, to deliver that land into our hands. I vote that we go and cross this Jordan and get on with it. Boy, you think that's confidence? What do you think about a little boy, 17 years old, that walks out into the valley and confronts a giant who's nine foot? And listen at the confidence, he says. 
He says, I'm going to cut your head off, and I'm going to carry your head back into the camp as a trophy that you're a defeated foe. You've, you've lost for you ever. Start fighting. You mean confident people talk like that? It's called testimony. Can you believe that? Come on over and let's find Daniel. When the king says, I am so sorry that I fell for that, that concoction that these presidents came up with that hated you and wanted to destroy you and use the law of the uh, Medes and Persians to do it. And Daniel said, oh, king, don't fret yourself about this. My God, my God will take care of me. And I'm confident of this one thing. As soon as you throw me in that dungeon with those lions, said that God's going to take control of everything. God's going <laughs> to shut the mouths. God's going to take the fierceness and the wrath out of the lions. And God's got this. God's going to take care of this. Oh, that king spent a, a sleepless night. And when he came down the steps to the dungeon the next morning, he cried out and said, Oh, Daniel, is your God able to deliver you out of the mouths of the lions? Daniel wiped some sleep out of his eyes and said, Oh, king, live forever. For this night the Lord hath sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. Confident. Take three Hebrew boys. And Nebuchadnezzar said, we're going to throw you in that fiery furnace because you pray to the God of heaven and you won't bow and you won't bop at the king's hop, I guess. You won't bow down and go to worshiping the right one. You're, you, you've got the wrong God. And these boys said, we're not careful to answer you about this. Our God is able to deliver us, but if he does not, be it also known to you that we purposed in our hearts that we will not defile our bodies with the king's meat and the king's drink. And Nebuchadnezzar said, throw them in. And the Bible said the men that came and cast them into the furnace were all killed because they'd heated it up seven times what it normally was. Suddenly Nebuchadnezzar looked inside at those confident Hebrew boys and said, did we not cast three into the furnace? said, yes, O king, three is what we put it. He said, lo, I see four. I see four, and the fourth one is like unto the Son of God. Hallelujah. Go on over to the New Testament. You've got James and John preaching on the street corner. They come and arrest them. They beat their backs to a bloody pulp and charge them that you will not preach anymore in this name. And the Bible said, and they being let go, uh, 
went to their own company and reported the things which they'd seen and heard. And the Bible said they knelt down and prayed, and they said, Oh, Lord, grant that with all boldness, behold their threatenings, and grant that with all boldness we might speak thy word. And then the place where they assembled was shaken. Brother, I'm going to tell you, confidence is something that gets good results. Confidence is something you need that you know that God will take care of you. Come on, Olivia, and help me quit. Though a host should encamp about you, I will not fear. Confidence. Philippians 1 and 6, being confident of this one thing, that he which hath begun a work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. Touch your neighbor and say, he'll see you through it. He'll see you through it. He'll see you through it. He'll make a way where there seems to be no way. He'll give you an answer where it seems like there is no answer. He'll come on the scene and touch you. What is it that scripture that says, and I'll close with this one, that he is the shade upon my right hand. Shade upon my right hand. Get your pencil out, Faye. This is good. The shade upon my right hand. Well, the right hand has great prominence in Scripture. It tells us that there's authority, there's blessing, there's protection at the right hand. In fact, the Bible said at the right hand of God, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. In fact, at the right hand of God, the Bible said there's joy and bliss and pleasure evermore at His right hand. So the right hand is a good thing. That's a, that's a precious thing. And when you fight, you got your shield. Now, if you're right-handed, if you're left-handed, you'd do it the other way. But if you're right-handed, which most people are, you'd hold the shield in your left hand. The shield is to fight off things. The right hand is to deliver the blow. And he said, he is the shade upon my right hand. That basically goes back to a time when Israel was guided by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud of smoke by day. And in the deserts of the Middle East, you'll find out it's one of the most hostile places in the whole world. It can get very hot in the daytime. It can get very cold at night. So as much as they could, You'd find a shade every time you could. And the way you're going to fight, the, one, the instrument you're going to fight with, he said, he gives me shade on that, lest it becomes blistered and, and sunburnt and exposed to the elements. God is the shade upon your right hand. That lesson isn't learned anywhere else except in the desert. In the mountain... What is that song, You're Still God on the Mountain? Is that what we sing around here? It's God on the mountain. It's still God in the valley. Oh, we have those mountaintop experiences when the Spirit of God is so powerful, when it seems like the anointing of the Holy Spirit is all around us and all upon us, in us. But sometimes we go down in the valley. What was it the psalmist said? In the valley 
He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. Shouting on the mountain. But if you want your soul restored, you got to go down in the valley. And that's where you'll see the lily. Because the lily of the valley is only found in the valley. Stand with me, please. He'll see you through it. I said he'll see you through it. You can be confident of this one thing. He will see you through it. He'll get you through it. You may not know how. You may not know when. But Glendine used to sing, he'll do it for you. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. Has anybody ever had God to deliver you? Boy, we're almost unanimous on that. God will deliver. God will deliver. God will deliver. God will deliver. No matter when, no matter what, no matter how, He'll do it for you. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be in your house this morning. Thank you for all that you mean to us and all that you do for us. We love you and we praise you. I ask you once again, God, that whatever's going on with Rachel, that you'll touch her and touch her body, O oh Lord, I pray. Help her, God, right now and move upon her. Lord, encourage her heart and lift her spirit. Help her to know in whom she has believed and help her to know that it, with God all things are possible. Bless her and help her, God, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Be with us now as we depart from your house. Keep us safe from harm and danger, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. amen.